The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 17th, the You Need to Calm Down edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and contributor to Slate's Karen Feeding Parenting column, cultural critic, communication strategist, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we are based in Inglewood, California. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor and writer at Slate and the author of How to Be a Family. I live in Arlington, Virginia, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and host of the podcast Crime Writers On. I live in New Hampshire, and my kids are Henry, who's 18, Teddy, who's 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who's 19. Today on the show, we've got a question about just how much you should disclose to your children about your mental health issues and about yelling, something that I'm sure uh, my fellow co-hosts uh can relate to having some issues with. It's a constant struggle um, in my household. And on Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about horror movies. Ooh, it's spooky time, guys. Are you and your kids into it, or are you chicken like Rebecca and I? If you want to hear that conversation, you have to join us on Slate Plus at slate.com backslash mom and dad plus. And as we always do, we're starting the show off with triumphs and fails. Dan, Do you have for us this week a triumph or a fail? I have a question mark. I have, I sort of view it as a triumph, but I think it could, some listeners may feel this is a real failure. So I'm curious what listeners think Mm. when we post this episode. So um, I, I think for the first time ever, um, my daughter, my older daughter, Lyra, who's a ninth grader this year, um, asked, to just stay home from school, not because she was sick, not because she was feeling overwhelmed uh, and needed a mental health day, not for any of those reasons, but just because she thought what they were doing in school that day was stupid (laughs) and she didn't want to go. And I said, yes. (laughs) So that is the question. Uh, today, it's actually today at um, Yorktown High School in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, it's an early release day, so this happens every once in a while during the school year. Um, it's a half day uh, for professional development for the staff in the afternoon. So school is supposed to end at 1230. And we got this email a couple of days ago saying, here's what's going on during the early release day. I'm actually going to read it to you. <clears throat> Wednesday, October 16th is an early release day so the Yorktown staff can engage in professional learning activities in the afternoon. School will end at 1234 that day. During the second day, during the school day, Yorktown 10th and 11th graders will take the PSAT. And there's a whole thing about why the PSAT is important and why your 10th or 11th grader should take it. While 10th and 11th graders are testing, 9th graders will watch like a documentary on the impact of social media on our lives and engage in reflective activities related to the documentary. They will also hear a speech from the acting interim superintendent of schools. (laughs) So that is what my ninth grader was meant to be doing this morning uh, from 8.30 to 12.30. Um, And mildly exacerbating the situation is that she uh, missed a day of school just before this. She missed Tuesday. Monday was a holiday, but she missed Tuesday because we were on vacation and the flight, our flight did not get back on time for her to make it to school on Tuesday. Um, so there's sort of, there's a little push and pull there, right? She missed school. So I was a little loath to have her miss 
another day of school, but she also has a bunch of schoolwork that she needs to catch up on. There's some that she did while we were on the trip, but she could still stand to catch up on more. And and when she asked, my first impulse was like to be like, no, you got to go to school and do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I read this email and I was like, well, that just sounds so dumb. Maybe this <laughs> documentary is great. Maybe like listeners will be like, Dan, my kid watched this documentary and they shut down their Instagram account and now don't use a cell phone and they all the power in our house is comes from our horse-drawn cart. I don't know, but like <laughs> but the idea of her like watching a documentary on social media with everyone and then doing activities based on it and then having a speech from the superintendent like that just seemed like a a totally lame day, especially when what she needed from school that day was to like catch up on her stuff. So I said, uh, no, you know what? Actually, you don't have to go to school that day. The requirement is like during those hours, you need to like be catching up on your homework. And if you have completely finished your homework and and are com- fully caught up, then you can read a book or something like you can't be on your phone. But no, you don't have to go to school for this dumb shit. Uh, but what do you, is that a triumph or a fail guys? Oh, it's fine. I mean, she is in school. If she's doing her schoolwork, she's fine. I mean, it sounds like to be real, uh, your kid's school, the PSAT is basically taking up all a bunch mm-hmm. of resources in space. My kid is also taking the PSAT today, but they're doing it off campus, like at a different place. They like basically are shipping out all the kids who are taking the PSAT to a different school today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like they were like, okay, what the fuck else are we going to do with all these other kids? Let's right. make something up. Because they need teachers as proctors the and they need all the rooms for the kids. And yeah. Yeah. She's being productive. You, She's doing her schoolwork. I think it's fine. I think it's completely fine. And also, I think it's really good when there are opportunities to actually listen to your kids. And when your reflexive thing is like, no, because you can't just miss school when you want to. But when you actually think about the argument they're making and her seems really like logical. It is absolutely a triumph to occasionally listen to them when they tell you that something is stupid or wrong. Right now we're going through this thing with Teddy where he wants to Mm. drop math. And um, I don't I don't fully understand what the consequences of that are. I don't know if he's actually like finished with his required math for high school or not. But if he is finished with his required math and he wants to drop math, like half of me is like, fuck, no, you can't drop math. The other half is like, why not? Like, why can't he drop math? Why can't I listen to him? Like. He doesn't want to do it. He's failing it. He has this very like humanities focused set of mm-hmm. interests. Uh, he's if he's technically done, like why shouldn't I support that I decision? You know what I mean? So I think it's fine. I think it's totally fine. I think so too. I will say, part of me is curious about that documentary. You know, and I and, and <laughs> it would, <laughs> you know, it, it maybe it's really good. I, I just wish, or it may have been a different conversation had they booked a better speaker to follow the documentary. I don't know too many kids that are excited to go listen to the acting superintendent of schools. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> like, is it Nick Cannon? <laughs> because otherwise. <laughs> I can't imagine that your daughter isn't the only one who said, I'm not going. And I appreciate that she, the difference between your daughter and me um, at that age is is that I respect that she asked you permission to, and said, look, this is silly. Don't you agree with me? As opposed to doing what I would have done, which is leaving the house, going to Starbucks, waiting till my mother (laughs) left for work and then coming back home to watch Jerry Springer. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I knew that was, me too. Um, 
yes. But I, I'm very pro kids. Can, my daughter misses school all the time. I'm awful about it. If we're going, you know, we're traveling for a thing. Now we live in L.A. They get all this time off. But most places get two days for Thanksgiving. We're taking an extra day. Whatever. This time is valuable. And sometimes just downtime is valuable. And she's doing schoolwork. Agreed. It's different, though, when kids are older. Like, we we used to be very, we used to take off for, like, anything. Um, but the last couple of years have been a real lesson in, like, like you, you can really fuck up your kids' yeah. month yeah. by <laughs> knocking them out of school for a couple you of can. days. That's very true. Um, and so we've really had to, like, moderate that a lot. And so this trip we took to, which I'll talk about a little bit later um, in the show, this trip we took was... Like, already that was, like, a stretch, and I think that was what made me nervous about one more day. But I agree. It's not like she was going to learn anything in this one more day. Having a day at home where she does her homework is probably actually going to help her with Mm -hmm. reentry. So thank you for bolstering my sense that this was a triumph. I appreciate that. I'm curious to know, uh, because your children are older, how much do you disclose to your children about how whack school is? Because I'm struggling (laughs) with, I don't believe in homework. I think it's oppressive. I think it's a cruel thing to do to families who want to have some quality time. And most teachers agree, you know, but but still most kids end up at some point having a lot of homework to do. And I I think it's cool to miss a day here and there. And I think a lot of what they're forced to learn is just, you know, even in the best schools is quite mediocre, you know, or or time wasty. So like, how much of that do you say to your kids? Because I don't want to like have her like, yeah, you know, fuck school. Cool. Mommy said it's whack, you know, but I also don't <laughs> want to lie to her and, and reinforce some of the whack stuff they're making her do. Yeah, but if you're on the same team about it, like if she loves it, like I wouldn't disabuse her of the notion that it's awesome. I mean, that's like such a gift when you hear about yeah. kids who like loves go- going to school. Like my stepdaughter was like that. She freaking loved school. Even when I saw her doing things that I thought were bullshit, like she loved it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to take that from her because that is a gift that like most people don't get. Um, but, you know, I think it's it is good to be transparent about your feelings about it, because then when there's stuff that, you know, they just have to do. Like, they are much more likely to do it if you agree with them. You're like, okay, I agree with you. This is total BS. But whatever, this is a thing you have to do. And, you know, I'll help you get through it or whatever. Like, they will buy into that much more than they'll buy into, like, no, this is a valuable skill that you'll use for the rest of your life when you know that it's not. (laughs) Like, they know when you're BSing them. They totally know, uh, especially as they get older. So. I think it's fine to disclose, uh, but definitely don't disclose more than you need to if there are things that she likes. But it is okay, for instance, to let them know when something they've learned is wrong. Like I do that all the I do that all the time yeah. when my kids were little. I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> so I have a very specific rule about this, actually, which is uh, that commiserating about. Um, about how the stuff they're learning seems dumb or how like a general school rule is bad or about how like the way the school is structuring things uh, or decisions that they've made are troublesome. I think all that is a-okay, but I have a very specific personal rule about not shit-talking teachers, Mm. individual Mm. teachers or the work that they do unless it's like unbelievably egregious Um, because I've always had this philosophy that like – a teacher's life is hard enough every day, and the best gift I can give a teacher is to be on the teacher's side um, if there's some, like, you know, basically frivolous debate. 
All right, Rebecca, what about you? Triumph or fail? Uh, I have a triumph. Actually, Teddy has a triumph. Let's be real. Uh, He finally got a real part in the school musical this year. I mean, he's had um, decent parts before. Two years ago, they did uh, Bye Bye Birdie, and he was in like this quartet. So he had a good singing part, but not any acting parts. Last year, he was in the chorus of... What did they do last year? What's that thing? Um, uh, Once Upon a Mattress. And this year, they're doing the Adams Family musical, which I don't know anything oh. about. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it, but that's what they're doing. And he got the part of Lurch beating out his friend Tommy, with whom he's always in competition for parts because Tommy is also like a big baritone. But Tommy is, by the way, literally almost seven feet tall. And somehow, because of Teddy's exceptional singing voice, he beat him out for the part of Lurch, which means he has to wear stilts on stage when he plays (laughs) this part so that he's taller than his friend. And he's super excited about it. And, of course, we are, too. And it's like, you know, like the uh, hierarchy of high school, even if you're a really good singer or whatever, like the older kids always get the juicy roles. And he's finally a junior, Mm -hmm. so it's happening. And it's yeah. very exciting, and uh, I'm really proud of him. So, as long as he's not failing math, maybe that's, I'm wondering if like, that's why he wants to drop out so that he can do this musical. Because I think if you're failing a class, technically you can't do it. But um, anyway, to me, the musical is way more important for this, for this life than than uh, pre calculus is likely to be, knowing what his interests are. But uh, yeah, we're really psyched for him, and it's a big triumph in our family. It's a very big triumph. Well, I am. Um, I'm excited to have a triumph this week too. Uh, from uh, live from California, where I, I live for real now with my daughter, who I live with for real. Um, so, and this kind of loosely ties into what we were just talking about in terms of uh, Dan's rule not to, you know, diss teachers uh, in, in front of his children which makes a whole lot of sense because once your parent has withdrawn respect from something, it's, it's sometimes it's kind of hard for you to respect it or view it in the same way, you know, or appreciate mm. something. And so I, I, my daughter and I, she has, I think, really great eclectic taste in music and TV and stuff, but, you know, specifically music. I can sit through most of what she likes to listen to. There are some things that I really can't deal with. Um, a lot of the little kitty acts from YouTube. And, and again, it, it's cute. They're age appropriate. But like some of the, you know, some of the music just kind of sucks. And I'm a, also a 35 year old woman. I don't have the ear of a six year old. So, you know, those little tiny voices and, you know, suburban kids doing hip hop slang thing doesn't offend uh, her sensibilities the way it annoys me. But I've noticed that, you know, if she says she likes a song or asks me if I like something and I don't, how her little face just falls. And we were in the mall the other day and some garbage song by some garbage artist was playing, you know, some big top 40 thing. And, you know, her eyes just lit up and she says, but she first says, oh, do you like this? And I was about to say, like, hell no, it sounds like garbage, garbage, boo, worst song ever. (laughs) And I said, Oh yeah, it's so it's cute. And she was just so happy. And and I've done that quite a few times since then. Um and so I'm finally at the point where cuz it's one thing to have to pretend that you, you know, you like the song that your child wrote themselves, which of course I do cuz my daughter's a genius and it's a musical um talent, <laughs> but you know, like, or every picture that they give you or everything that they cook you or, you know, like you, it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, this is so great. But when it's like Taylor Swift, I'm like, I don't have to lie about this. 
You know, like <laughs> I have to stand on something as a woman. I have values. And so there are some artists like I'm like, sorry, Taylor Swift and Katy Perry. I just refuse. You know, like like I, I can deal with Jojo Siwa. She's little. She's cute. But no, those two, I, I just have no I, I can't pretend I can't fake it. But I, I've learned to fake it more uh, with my child. So I'm happy. So so my triumph is that I lie more. Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, those are totally, totally fine lies. I'm curious at what point your daughter will start to know when you're lying. Like my kids can now tell when I'm faking my enthusiasm for like whatever some back walkover that Harper did for the one trillionth time. And I'm like, great back walkover, honey. <laughs> and, then she's, and she goes, dad. <laughs> That's all right. Teddy always wants to talk about Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I can't. It's really hard for me to pretend this is interesting for me. I love it that you love it. But like a lot of the stuff that I'm super into, like you would not be super psyched to hear about either. Right. I think it's really, I, I love that you drew the Taylor Swift line. Uh, I think that's an, an interesting <laughs> line to draw and one that might prove controversial. Um, not with me, but like, I think mm-hmm. that's a good place to, to draw a line. I, I have a, I have a real problem with the Taylor squad stuff and the, you know, the victim like character that she plays when she has yeah. so much freaking power. It makes me insane. So, um, <laughs> and there's nothing about it that's particularly weird. Which you know, yeah, you know, takes away some of the. However, for me. all her songs are bangers. <laughs> to you, all of them, every single one. To you, she only writes bangers. Hard to disagree. Nothing but bangers. So uh, we got a little business to handle before we uh, <laughs> before we shut this thing down for good. Um, before we get into today's conversation, which is about how phenomenal Taylor Swift is and how much we love and respect her. Um, and if you want more content like that, uh, and it's all about Taylor Swift, you should subscribe to Slate's parenting newsletter um, and stay abreast of all the lovely things we say about Taylor. And you can even find out what's going on with this little podcast with Karen Feeding, our uh weekly parenting advice column, uh, ask a teacher and much, much more. All you have to do is sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer on this podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddad at slate.com. And if your question is chosen, you'll get to hear it on the air. And check out our Facebook group. Search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really cool community. It's moderated comments and people get kicked out of there all the time. It's a safe space and there's a lot of rich dialogue that takes place there. So please find us on Facebook. And on Slate Plus today, we're going to be talking about scary movies. It's almost Halloween. Your little ones are asking to see things. They go bump in the night and you are shook yourself. What to do? We're going to be talking all about it. To hear more segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for our membership program, Slate Plus. It's a great way to support our work. And for just $35 your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And... In return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate podcasts and a lot of other great benefits, too. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, which we'd really appreciate, please go to Slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. All right. So back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's get into our first question, read as almost always by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. I think a lot about the discussion around yelling and parenting. My daughter is now almost six, and we spent the first four years of her life in Japan, my husband's country, where I hardly ever saw anyone raise their voice with their children, at least not in public. And this made me even more interested in how to handle frustration with little kids and how some people seem to be better at it. Well, then I am. I pretty much manage not to yell at my daughter when she is driving me nuts or being particularly difficult, although I will admit to a few slip-ups here and there, but instead I've found that my default is to speak in a very tense voice, and honestly, I'm not sure this is better than yelling, because it still seems mean. I don't say mean things, but I ask for cooperation in a tone that I couldn't accurately characterize as gentle or even nice. So I may be saying, please stop yelling at me and get your socks on, but my tone makes it clear I'm really annoyed and angry. I can't always manage to walk away when I feel close to the edge of using this voice, like trying to get out of the door in time for school, when walking away could only and would only delay us even more. Also, on a related note, I am ambivalent about how to model my own anger to a daughter, in that, one, I'm not sure I want to give her the message that squashing your anger and being gentle is what a girl or woman should always or even usually do. But two, I don't want her to think it's okay to yell at me when I ask her, for instance, to put on her socks so we can get somewhere on time. So in short, is talking in a tense voice any better than yelling? I know it's probably less scary than yelling, but it still doesn't seem like it's necessarily nicer than yelling. And I hate to think I'm not being nice to my child. I wish I had the ability to always be gentle. Or I sort of wish this because that doesn't feel very real or possible. And I also think it's important to model honesty and a realistic struggle with ourselves as fallible humans. But I don't. So... <laughs> the short answer is yes. Talking in a tense voice is better than yelling. <laughs> I'm very anti-yelling. Uh, as I've talked about many times on the show, I have a fairly strict no yelling policy that I only break in a case of an emergency, <laughs> uh, I like to think. I mean, there are the rare moments where literally it just comes out or, um, you know, something and you 
and and I, I tend to also be transparent with my kids, even when they were little. And I would apologize if I spoke mm. to them in a way that I wasn't proud of. If I yelled, even if I was tense, I would. Uh, it just happened this weekend. I had a little tense moment with Teddy, and you know, later in the day, I sent him a text, and I was like, you know what? I'm really hard. I'm really sorry that uh, about the way I talked to you earlier. It was a tough situation for me because I wasn't sure what was going on, and I felt like we weren't having a great conversation, and I found myself getting annoyed. You know, I would love it if we didn't get that way, but sometimes we do, and I'm sorry. And he was like, I'm really sorry, too. I was kind of a dick. Um, But, yeah, it is hard to always be gentle and always be kind because kids can be frustrating. They can be obstinate. They can do the very opposite thing that you want them to do. But I am a huge believer that yelling is, in fact, mean, and it's a display Mm -hmm. of power that is largely unnecessary. I have uh, worked with people uh, in my office life who are yellers, who have bad tempers, and Mm -hmm. it's triggering and it's awful for me to get yelled at at work or to see somebody else get yelled at at work. And it's like HR material. And I just sort of wonder why, uh, as a culture, you know, we've largely decided it's okay to treat the people who are most important to us in our lives in a way that we would get in trouble for treating people in our offices. Um, So, yeah, it's better. Keep working on it. It sounds like you're doing fine. I think the fact that you are so aware of what your communication sounds like and how it's landing is really the most important thing. And if you do find yourself getting tense or once in a while yelling, having the transparent conversation where you talk to your kid and talk about why the feelings came out the way they did, why you were frustrated, how you wish you could have been more patient, but that it's difficult, um, it's really meaningful. And I, and I think that does more to model kindness and the way you want your kids to grow up treating other people than being perfect all the time. Because let's face it, even when you have a no yelling policy like I do, it's literally impossible to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're doing great work. Keep thinking about it and um, never stop. That would be my advice to you. Dan? I strongly disagree. Uh-oh. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm not going to yell about it because I've made a promise to pe- to listeners of the podcast that I'll yell less. Mm-hmm. But listeners of the podcast are adults. People in your office are adults. People you work with are adults. You have there are lots of differences in the way that you deal with other adults than in the way you deal with your kids. Like you don't put people in your office in timeout when they do something you don't approve of. You are not constantly trying to moderate and modulate and talk through the behavior of the people you work with or with other adults in your lives. But your relationship with your kids is different. And I I absolutely think there is nothing wrong with occasional yelling at your kids. Now, there are limits and boundaries on this, right? The goal of yelling is not to make your kid feel bad. The goal of yelling is not to deliver an insult at a loud volume, but as a way of occasionally making a kid who is not paying attention or obeying at a moment where they need to be doing that, either for safety or behavioral reasons, I think yelling is totally appropriate. I don't think that that it makes you a bad parent or uh, or is abusive, uh, like de facto, to occasionally, you know, be like, hey, I'm over here. You got to look at me now. Um, you have to listen to me. Or I've asked you to tie your shoes. Tie your shoes. I think those are like totally normal parent-child interactions. And I do think like some measure of healthy respect 
for the fact that a parent has a line and it becomes very apparent when you've crossed that line is really useful when you're raising a kid. Um, this is actually something that I've been thinking about and talking about a lot with uh, other parents and other people at Slate because of this piece that ran uh, on um, CNN just like three weeks ago, and we'll post a link to it on the show page. Uh, it was by a really good parenting writer named Alyssa Strauss, um, and the headline was, It is okay to yell at your kids if done in the right way, and it talks a lot about the difference between raising your voice uh, as a sort of occasional parenting tactic and becoming a hurtful yeller who damages your kids long-term as a result. I really do think that the former, done properly, is like totally legit. Now, I will also, I will agree with you, Rebecca, that when you can pull it off, the sort of calm delivery with an undercurrent of menace is also a really great and effective way of delivering that message um, and maybe better than yelling all the time but I think both of those are tools that should be in your toolbox and that you should feel free as a parent to use. I think it is okay for kids to know when you are pissed at them sometimes because of the stupid shit they're doing. Well, I, um, I, I'd say that I fall somewhere in the center of the two of you here, which means that, one, I'm right. Um, <laughs> not that the center is usually the best place to be. Like, for example, we're looking at the state of the country. You can't be square in the middle. But in this situation, I think the middle is the perfect place to be. Even though I think you're actually kind of saying the same thing. You know, because Rebecca, you said it's not something you believe in doing. It's when it happens, it's in case of emergency. Right. It's a thing that you have to pull out. And I think that's essentially what Dan was saying, that few of us... Um, you know, few remotely conscientious parents would say it's cool to yell at your kids all the time, you know, and, and there are few times that I've done it and felt good about it afterwards. Like, yeah, that was good parenting. You know, like there you more often than that, I think you feel like I've lost control or I'm frustrated, you know, and, and I, I don't know how to make this person do what I need them to do or want them to do. And I, and this is a last resort, you know, it, it's not something that I delight in or, or deploy often, but on occasion, I think it's appropriate. Um, something Rebecca touched on that I want to, um, uh, cosine is apologies. We have to normalize ap parents apologizing to children and teachers apologizing to children and other adults. You know, it, it, there's so many among us who still seem to think that, you know, it, that we should prop ourselves up as if we're infallible. Um, you know, I, I make it very clear to my child that I am a flawed woman. And, and there are certainly the things that she's probably just observed. Um, but there are times where, you know, I make a mistake. And so we don't get to do something, you know, that the schedule for the day didn't go in accordance to plan because I added a detour and it, and it threw us off. Or, you know, there was something that I wanted us to, to experience or, or do or see or have or whatever. And we can't, you know, and I have to say, hey, I messed up here. Or, you know, I, I told you to do this. I thought this was a good idea and it wasn't I apologize um and sometimes when you yell you know it's like yeah I was frustrated but I know that in that moment I'm the one who took it too far it wasn't about what they were doing so I'm going to apologize to you for that um and, and remind you that what you did was incorrect and it was you know hurtful or troublesome or you know wrong in, in some way but 
I know that that the amount of respect I have for you and the sort of parent that I want to be um, is one who who doesn't raise their voice often. And so I, I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. Um, and here's what I could have said. And, and here's what you could have done, too. And we can talk about both of those things. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, where I um, part ways with you, Dan, is saying that, you know, well, you can't compare this to how you interact with your coworkers because, you know, you, you just simply have a different relationship to them than you have your children, which is very true. But I, I, I think that so much of what we do um, in, in terms of our interactions with our kids is teaching them how to interact with the world around them, you know? So it's not just them seeing us interact with, you know, waitresses or, or the mail carrier or, you know, the teachers at their school um, that, that trains them how to interact with other people. It's how we speak to them. You know, I, I see in my child some of my, my best traits and some of my greatest shortcomings. You know, I, I see her being quick to anger and I see her being able to cut people down with their words. So there's a lot that a, that a child or an adult can do with their mouth that can be hurtful. And it, it doesn't have to be yelling. It doesn't have to be a terse voice. But um, I... I agree with the letter writer uh or i should say i am i I support your your intentions in in terms of thinking about what it means to model anger for a daughter and rebecca i'd be curious to hear your take on um modeling anger as a woman parent to male children um but but Mm. I, i i I've tried to teach my six-year-old that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to to, to cry with anger. It, sometimes it is appropriate or, or, or forget, permissible to yell with anger, you know, and it's okay to articulate. And ideally we can say, I'm angry and here's why. And oftentimes that's not what anger looks like, but that all children and, and little girls in particular, um, I, I think need to be instructed in the importance of, expressing their anger productively, but not keeping it bottled in, you know, like saying this upset me, this boy touched me at school and I'm really upset about it, you know, and and to still be angry after the apology that that's okay, you know, but, but that your duty as a girl is not to tuck your anger away. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, you know, when I, I talk about the no yelling policy, I mean, for me, a lot of it came from the fact that like, I used to yell a lot when my kids were really little and it didn't work. Like it's like if you yeah. and I think where I really diverge with you, Dan, is you talk about sort of tools in the toolbox. And I, by the way, I think this is one of those things where like it's a lot safer to disagree on this than say something like spanking, for instance. Right, uh, right. But, you know, I actually think the argument you're making, Dan, sounds a lot like the spanking argument. It sounds a lot like it's a tool in the toolbox. You don't want to do it, but sometimes you have to and you do it in the proper way and you follow through and you have like a pattern around it like that's how corporal punishment was handed out to kids for generations myself included like Mm. the wooden spoon came out like once every two years and it was only like you know in extreme cases and like one whack on the leg or whatever but like I still think about that freaking wooden spoon and I would never in a million years like pull out the wooden spoon. But my mom did it the same way you talk about doing yelling like uh, I this is a tool in my toolbox this is something that only comes out once in a while. It's an unnecessary expression to me of anger. Um, I think that the the thing that I found when I made the no yelling rule for myself and for, you know, everyone else in the house as much as they could. I mean, kids are going to yell. It's fine. Uh, but 
for the other adults in my house is that when it happens, when you do break the glass and you do have to yell, like when someone's running into the street or whatever, they fucking listen to you because it's just not the way that you normally are. It's not, oh God, here goes mom again, flying off the handle. It's like, this is dead serious. This is an emergency. Um, Mm -hmm. Frankly, it's also the way that I train my dogs. I don't yell at my dogs. I am gentle with them and positive with them. And when I do pull out the stern voice, they fucking listen because they know it's different. Uh, It actually has an impact. It's not, you know... um, it's, you know, it's an emergency of some kind. I had to do it this morning when my dog almost ran after a deer. We were on a walk and like, he, mm-hmm. I, you know, God knows I don't, my leg isn't great. So I wouldn't have been able to run after him. So I was like, you know, Stuart, you know, yeah, that, that sort of low. And he was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that was that. But um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I think it's, I think talking about anger very transparently is the most important part of this and talking about, you know, I, I am an angry crier. Sometimes when my kids make me really upset, I will start to cry and just be like, this is me when I'm angry, guys. This is what it looks like. I'm really pissed off right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say that you're pissed off, to say that you're frustrated, to say that you are at your rope's end, that you don't know what to do. Um, to me, the yelling does not add more to that conversation. It actually takes away from my credibility when I'm trying to explain what it is that I am trying to communicate. It takes away from it. And uh, it's not the way that I want my kids um, to deal with people when they're angry. I heard my um, older son have one argument with his girlfriend the entire time they've been together. I heard him raise his voice. And um, we talked about it a lot afterwards. <laughs> and apparently she was really, it was like one, this one argument they've had in their whole relationship. And I remember listening to that and being like, man, that just doesn't sound like someone in our family right now. Like that sounds like like something real bad must be going on. And I loved that. I mean, I loved I didn't love that he was like raising that they're raising their voices at each other. But I love that it was so rare that mm-hmm. like it, it, it just stood it, out for it you. gave me so much reason to pause. Um so anyway, that's where but it I am sounds like it. you're you're acknowledging that tactical yelling used seldom enough that it really registers. I never plan to useful. yell though. It's well, just I, that we. I, don't I think plan that to yell. we differ on what the on what the basis for those tactics are. For you, it's only when it's a matter of safety if someone's running into the street, mm. right? For me, it stretches beyond that. I think that there are other times when. You, dropping a yell in there because you absolutely need or want a kid to pay attention to you at that moment is like tactically useful. And I think that that yell should be followed by a thoughtful discussion of why you Mm -hmm. yelled and why you became angry, an apology for speaking in that way. But yet I still think that like stretching the bounds of when yelling is appropriate beyond just your kid's about to be hit by a car is a totally fine and appropriate thing to do as a parent. What I'm hearing from the two of you all and also um, picking up from the letter writer, it's interesting that she, you know, spent a lot of time saying, okay, I don't yell, but I I have this tone. And that tone makes it clear that I'm annoyed and angry. And isn't, you know, the tone could be, is a tense voice just as bad as yelling? Is it worse? And it it makes me wonder if... uh, the letter writer has had an experience where somebody really cut them down, you know, or, or made them feel bad with their words and, and did so in a very calm, you know, controlled, but disappointed or, or stern tone. Right. And how 
for some people being spoken to in that way could be a lot more upsetting, you know, than yelling. You know, I think some kids, and I wonder if maybe this is the letter writer's experience, would feel, you know, someone yells at you, it's like, okay, I messed up, it's fine. Yelling is a thing I'm used to. I play on the playground. People yell all the time, you know, mom's mad, I get it. Versus that very, you know, kind of controlled rage. Like like it could almost be more um, hurtful, you know, like like it just seems like it, it's a more pointed critique uh, about your behavior in a way when somebody speaks to you that way. It could just be me, but I'm wondering if maybe that um, that that's why someone would say, okay, well, yelling is not great, but it, it's not going to do that much damage. It's not that mean. It's not that big a deal, you know, where someone else will be like, oh, my God, yelling is the worst thing you could do. You yell at me. It's not really it, it, I don't like it. You know, but but it doesn't break me down. Does that make sense? But but somebody really like yeah. sniping at yeah. me would would hurt. Yeah, it breaks me down. I don't like being yelled at. To me, uh, being yelled at is is like being slapped in the face. It's really really mm-hmm. bad for me, and it's I think it's bad for a lot of people. I think it's you know it's upsetting. It it I think it feels. I mean, I remember every single time I was yelled at by a teacher growing up. It was like three times. I remember all of them. I remember every single one of them as clear yeah. as day. Now, and teacher, I remember them no, being that was like, di- that's different. Yeah, like really bad experiences. And I remember mm. like, you know, I, I I, just, I think that we tend to underestimate the damage that we can do when we are unnecessarily, uh, when, we, when we express our anger, we cho- when we have a choice to express our anger one way and we choose to express it a different way. I think we do have a choice sometimes. And I don't think that there's harm in choosing the softer choice when mm. you can. And I think that you can do harm when you make the other choice. I would be really interested to know what the research is. And I will see if I can dig some up before next week's episode. And I would love for listeners to also let us know what they do, how they handle this, what their thoughts are, and also if they know about research on this subject. Uh, I bet the research backs you up, Rebecca. Um, But let's find out. Absolutely. Okay, let's go to our second letter, again, read by Shasha Leonard. Hi, mom and dad. I'm the mom to a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and one on the way. I have OCD, and I have had the condition since early childhood, but was only diagnosed and began receiving treatment after my oldest was born. Parenting with mental illness has, at times, been very difficult for me. Often it takes my strength, my stamina, and my patience, leaving me a lesser mom than I want to be for my kids. I do have a wonderful cognitive behavioral therapist, and we work a values-based approach, which really helps me keep focused on what's important. However, I'm writing in because I would like to hear your experiences parenting when you are not at your mental or emotional best. To what extent, if any, do you communicate what's going on inside to your kids? Love, OCD mom. Oh, thank you for the love, OCD mom. Um, well, this is something that I can relate to uh, quite a bit. I, and I'm deeply empathetic uh, to you, letter writer, because you're doing this with two children and one on the way. And I have one child and shared custody. And I can tell you that when those um, when those low moments come, functioning can be an incredibly difficult. Uh, I have dealt with chronic depression and anxiety for many years. I also have ADHD. And just managing those things um, with medication and therapy is a very delicate dance. And if I miss a step, um, you know, 
in inadvertently or otherwise, uh, a, a lot of things in my life can be thrown off balance. And that's actually been the case quite a bit in the past year. And I've worked very hard to minimize um, the impact on my child so that I, I when I feel that I'm, I'm not in a good place and I'm more inclined to yell or to get really angry about something that wouldn't otherwise bother or trigger me in any way that I, you know, excuse myself for a moment or I take a moment to really think about my reaction before, um, you know, before having one. Uh, but I do also, uh, I talk to my daughter about it. You know, I've explained to her, I haven't gotten too deep into it. We haven't talked about names or, or what these illnesses are, um, but that mommy is sick uh, in a way that I'm going to have to take care of forever. And it's not the type of sick that will, should make me have to lay in a hospital bed or, or, you know, have to deal with a lot of needles, um, or shots or, or anything or surgeries, I should say. Um, but that sometimes I don't feel very good. And when that happens, I, sometimes have less energy. So it, it can be harder for me to get out of bed or, or to get off the couch and go do stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I may need a little bit more rest than usual or a little bit more quiet time. Um, and that it, it's, you know, and, and there are other symptoms and things that I talk about in, in certain, you know, hopefully child-friendly ways. But the, the big point being that there's nothing that she has done um, that created this reality for me. Uh, and, and while I do ask her to be sensitive to certain things and to say, you know, because I'm not feeling very well, you know, can we do this? Or, you know, I'm making this adjustment, I'm looping you in on it, that even in asking her to be, you know, at, at times thoughtful um, and, and just a little bit gentler with mommy, that she's not responsible for keeping me okay. Um, that if I'm feeling bad or if I'm feeling low, it, it's not because of something she's done or, or because I'm with her uh, and, and that she is the best thing in my life. And I'm very grateful for her, um, you know, and, and I'm sorry that we have to deal with this thing together, but it's OK. And a lot of people are dealing with it and a lot of mommies are dealing with it and a lot of kids are dealing with it. And it's, it's OK to not always feel good. And you just have to be honest with these feelings. Um, so. You know, I, I have the also privilege of sharing custody of my child, which means there have been times where I've needed a little extra time to myself to just kind of deal with my stuff. And, and I'm typically able to request that. But I would just suggest, um, you know, in addition to hopefully maybe taking something from me kind of rambling about my own experiences, that you would think about child-friendly language and, and what, you know, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and really in particular a four-year-old could understand and how can you, what do you need to share? Um, because the child is either going to be exposed to something or because there's something that you need of the child, right? Because that, I mean, that, that doesn't always have to be a mental health thing. It could be simply living with migraines or, or chronic pain, which I also suffer from both of those things, you know, and, and or, or dealing with something that's more significant, but perhaps even if you aren't uh, raising a child who's old enough to really understand this is what's going on with you, there still may be some things that they're going to see or need to do in response. And so what are the ways that you can communicate that without creating an unnecessary panic in your child and also reminding them that this isn't their fault. They didn't do this to you. 
you know, that they didn't make mommy sick. They didn't make daddy hurt. Um, that it's not necessarily going to happen to them. Um, and, and if it does, that'll be okay too. But, but they can't assume or take for granted that they're going to have to deal with it because they're watching you go through it. Um, and that it doesn't change how much you love them. That's my, um, that's my take on it. What do you think, Dan? No, I think that that's right. I, I think that your focus on finding the right language for kids to talk about this is really crucial and makes me think a lot about my teenage years when there were members of my family that were, um, that were struggling with this, that were struggling with different mental health issues. And the way that I felt as a teenager that the weight of that was falling on me in a way that I found very difficult to cope with. Mm -hmm. um, and even as a 14 and 15 year old, I think that um, it benefited me when the people in my family who were dealing with this talked to me about it and didn't let that be a mystery, didn't let the things that were happening to them and the ways that we're feeling be mysteries. But I also think I could have, I also wished at the time and wish now that um, that they had found ways to talk about it um, that were more suitable for the level that I was at and understanding of me and my extremely rudimentary understanding at that point of mental health issues and the ways that they affect people. Um, and so, and so, you know, from ages, you know, zero to, to 18 and above, there are thinking about how to talk through this with your kids is valuable and important and finding the right language is valuable and important. But I agree with you that being, honest to the extent that you can also matters. I totally agree. I mean, I can think of many, many times in my parenting life where me or Kevin were depressed or going through something and needed just to go lie down and be alone. And, you know, when the kids are little, you say things like, oh, he's not feeling well. We need to give him some space or some time. And there just might be like a concern there. Like, what is what is really going on? I remember there being a lot of mystery around mental health issues in my own family growing up. And I think that we're at a point right now in this conversation about mental health where one of the biggest gifts we can give the next generation uh, is normalizing that this is something that a lot of people cope with and deal with and sometimes not chronically. Um, I I'm, I don't suffer from chronic depression. Uh, my husband does. I do not. But I have had episodic you know, periods of depression in my adult life. And everyone has that at some point. And, and it's also extremely common to deal with anxiety and depression. And I also have diagnosed with ADHD. And the, the extent to which we can just be really clear about what it is and also what it isn't is really a huge gift you can give your kids. It's, it's a complete gift to say, you know, this is a type of illness that a lot of people have. And really, it's just about uh, space, time, care, taking care of yourself the same way other illnesses are about those things. And uh, I think that everything you said, Jamila was spot, Jamila was spot on. And I wish they were things that people in my family had said to me growing up because now I do feel like it's kind of my life's mission to normalize this and make it okay for my kids to go out in the world with it. It does make me really proud when I hear one of my kids talking about one of their friends who's, you know, suffering from depression or uh, anxiety and just, you know, they just talk about it. They just say, oh, yeah, so-and-so isn't doing well. They're having some like mental health issues or whatever. And it, it does seem to be um, 
a more normalized, less stigmatized conversation that young people are having. And I think that we just need to continue encouraging that because the secrecy of it is the problem, as we all know, growing up in the times we grew up in, right? There's real congruence between this and what we were talking about with yelling and apologizing, right? There's is with apologizing in particular, one of the goals of that is to let your kids know that the things they are seeing from their parents are not in their imagination. They're not mm. imagining that their mom or dad seems to be acting in a way that doesn't make sense to them or is different from the way they often behave. And it's useful to them to know that they're not mistaken, that that's not something that they're imagining, whether it's something having to do with mental health, whether it's something having to do with a kind of um, behavior or an action you've taken that differs from the way you would like things to be. In all those cases, I think what we're all three of us are advocating is acknowledge to your kids that what they're seeing is real and talk to them as clearly as possible at their level about what is causing you to behave that way. Um, and I think that that is really useful and something that all parents can should be thinking about all the time. Thanks, Dan. Okay, before we close out, uh, let's do recommendations. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, every week we share something we like, something our kids like, or something that somebody who we respect uh, for some reason likes. <laughs> let's start with you, Rebecca. Well, this is something that uh, this is a very seasonal recommendation that we do uh, all autumn long. We have a very... Um, Wonderful seasonal situation where I live in New Hampshire, but I don't think you need to have a wonderful seasonal situation and do what we do all fall long, all weekend long, every autumn. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a thing in our family and with older kids, uh, we can use this language, but you can feel free to modify it. We call it fall as fuck. And every single weekend, we do as many fall as fuck activities as we can in my family. This past weekend, for instance, we had a pot of hot apple cider going on the stove all weekend long that you could just like walk by and like dip a ladle into and serve yourself from. I use um, sliced oranges and cloves in mine, by the way. We also made a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches uh, with mayo on the outside of the bread, by the way. Makes them way, way better. Uh, mm. We uh, made a pumpkin pie. We made fires in the fireplace like all weekend long from the morning on fire fires are not just for the nighttime when you want to be fall as fuck and we put a ton of blankets mm -hmm. on our couch and we just do a lot of sitting around a lot of nice walks uh enjoying the crisp air looking at leaves looking at pictures of very fall things watching cozy movies and just completely embrace the fact that this is the only time of year that you can be fall as fuck and it can be a legit activity to just do that and really commit to it the entire weekend, no matter what else is going on. So I think we're like on our sixth consecutive weekend of fall as fuck. Um, and it's a really wonderful tradition in our house, and I really recommend it. And one last thing, uh, a really, really great fall as fuck activity. Uh, get a package of cornmeal, like the kind that comes in the um, round, like Quaker oatmeal style thing, but it's cornmeal, not oatmeal. There's an amazing pancake recipe on the back of those cornmeal boxes. Make them. It's delicious. Your pancakes taste like the tops of corn muffins. That is the most fall as fuck breakfast you can possibly have <laughs> with like some warm maple syrup and butter. And it's a great way to start your fall as fuck day. That's my recommendation. That is the most Mr. Autumn Man shit I have ever heard. <laughs> That's right. Good Lord. Right. You Fall are Mr. Fuck. Autumn Man walking down the street with your cup of coffee, wearing your sweater over your plaid collar shirt. 100%. Fall is the worst season. <laughs> Fall blows. 
Fall can go to hell. Uh, Jamila, you moved to L.A. so you would never have to experience fall because you are smarter than the rest of us. Fall is just the prelude to winter, an even more terrible season. <laughs> so I, I, what I, I do enjoy fall relative to winter, which is so brutal, um, especially in most of the other places I live. But what I've learned about California weather very quickly is that there are four seasons. We just have them like every day. Um, winter, not so much, but like <laughs> it, it's so you leave the house or you get up. It's, it's around six or seven a.m. It's in the sixties. It's kind of chilly, you know. If you put on shorts to drop your kid off at school, put on clothes, so shoes, don't have on sandals, and then say at around ten or eleven. Now it's in the seventies. It's warm, you know. You could have on a sweatshirt if you want, but it, it, it's getting up there. And then it's in the eighties, and then it goes back down in the same order. It, it's like you experience multiple seasons in a day. So I have gotten in the habit of, and I'm still Ubering and and taking the bus everywhere at this point. I travel with like a second outfit in my bag every day <laughs> because I'm so sensitive to cold and heat, and I don't like getting really cold or really hot. So. We do have winter. Some California layering like hour, going on. Like an hour out of the day. <laughs> Your recommendation. I have a recommendation to counteract Rebecca's insane recommendation that it's fall is insane. good. It's not insane. It's the best. Um, I am recommending a summer activity uh, that we engaged in uh, just this past weekend because we were in Florida where summer lasts a lot longer than it does everywhere else. Um, we spent the weekend in um, Navarre, Florida, which is on the Florida Panhandle, right on the Gulf Coast uh, by Gulf Islands National Seashore. It is an area of Florida affectionately referred to by many Southerners who have vacationed there for generations as the Redneck Riviera. It is a beautiful place uh, full both of gorgeous white sand beaches and uncountable vape shops. Uh, <laughs> and it uh, is a place I really love visiting with my kids. We were actually visiting a friend that we had that we made in the Netherlands when we were on our trip around the world, this uh, American expat couple. Um, he's in the Air Force. Um, she is an, an ex-lawyer who stays at home with their kids um, and uh, homeschools them. And they are a lovely couple who we bonded with them in the Netherlands. And even though we had only hung out with them maybe four times total, when they were like, we live in Florida now, y'all should come visit, we said, okay. Uh, and we flew down there and hung out with them for the weekend. And we went to the most amazing place um, just off the coast of the next town over, Destin, Florida, uh, which is called Crab Island. Crab Island is not an actual island. Uh, it is just a huge sandbar in the sound, the sound between the barrier islands and the mainland uh, with like 80 degree water and the water is waist deep for like acres of, of ocean and it's beautiful, a beautiful like crystal blue and everyone just drives their pontoon boats over there, finds an empty spot drops an anchor and then just hangs out listening to music, playing in the water and drinking all day long. And uh, so our friend who's in the Air Force rented out an Air Force loaner boat for the day from the base and we putt-putted over to Crab Island and we weighed anchor and all the kids just floated around and splashed around in this 80-degree water, which is probably – like 70% beer by the time they got in it. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, gorgeous out and people were 
like all the different boats were playing all kinds of different music at all different volumes. And there were kids splashing everywhere. And some people rented boats that had slides on them. Uh, other people were buying hot dogs from the hot dog boat that just kept tootling around to sell stuff to people. It was a totally great warm weather experience. Um, one that I think maybe at the peaks of summer might get a little intense for kids. I think that probably around six o'clock, the vibe at Crab Island, maybe in mid-July might be a little insane, but on this beautiful October day, uh, when the population was down a little and people were just out chilling and having fun, was like a perfect kid thing to do. So I recommend to any parents who are looking for a chilled out, not totally insane Florida experience, go to Crab Island just off the coast of Destin, Florida. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Jamila, what about you? What are you recommending besides layers? Besides layers, yes, layers are important. Um, I really enjoyed the new Adams Family movie. Um, it was very cute, and um, I going to the movies is often. I feel like this is the second time I've been like, "Wait, the kid movie was actually good," you know. But um, it, it's so often an opportunity for me to catch up on email or try to close my eyes for a few minutes or respond to some text messages. <laughs> um, but I actually sat, I put my phone away, and I watched the movie and I engaged, and it was it was very cute. Um, it's sad that there are so many reboots and remakes being made that we um we saw a poster for Gemini Man, which is Will Smith's latest movie, and my my daughter said, is this a, you know, it, did you see the original? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like she just, at this point takes for granted. That Before this, they rebooted it. You know, like, well, certainly they're not just making a movie out of scratch, are they? Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's very cute, though I will say the soundtrack is a little disappointing. They needed to call Pharrell or something. Um, they could have called MC Hammer back. Remember the Adams Family Groove? There's no like standout mm. oh, yeah. um, song from this one that, that you're going to remember, nor did the music really um, move you at all during the movie. But very cute otherwise. And it's interesting that like so many other children's movies I've seen, uh, that the underlying... Uh, theme is xenophobia and why it's bad to treat people mm. that are different um poorly that i think there's some sort of like left-leaning uh very subversive group of animators and children's film writers that have been working these themes uh into cinema for quite some time and i appreciate it but that ultimately we see the adams family being persecuted for being weird um, even though we don't really get an explanation as to like what they are, who they are, why they're so different from the rest of the world, but just that they don't belong there and, and that people don't like them uh, because they're different. And it's really interesting. And a lot of pop culture jokes that parents will get. You know, it would have made the music in that movie even better, of course, would have been Teddy as Lurch. <laughs> Hell yeah. I definitely. <laughs> I have to say the other I don't know that anyone has ever known defeat like the 7 foot child that did not get the part of lurch in the school play. <laughs> Check on him. I think they must have already built the stilts. Like I'm sure Maybe. that Teddy has a wonderful voice, but they like they built or bought those stilts already, <laughs> they and like, they were like, "Well, we can't the not use five the stilts." Five, so we just uh, we spent right. too much money on these to let them go to work. 
Oh, goodness. Well, that concludes Mom and Dad are Fighting. Um, if you have a question that you'd like to hear on air, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. Also, join us on Facebook. Search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. I'm Jamila Lemieux. And on behalf of myself, Dan, and Rebecca, thank you so much for listening in this week. <laughs>